The Forum of Workplace Inclusion's 2022 podcast series is sponsored by Best Buy. More diversity in tech means more ideas that can change the world. Learn more at bestbuy.com slash more of this. We get to engage people, advance ideas, and ignite change because of the generous support from our community. If you find our resources meaningful or valuable, please consider supporting the forum today. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. Thank you very much for your support and generosity. And thank you all to our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum Podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. And please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the forum grows. So thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast series brought to you by Best Buy. I'm Ben Rue, Program Manager at the Forum. We're really looking forward to today's podcast, Interrupting Intercultural Code Shifting, Global ICDEI Through a Strength-Based Lens, Part 1. This is the first part of a two-part series with Tanya Cruz-Teller, Stephen Reed, and Marlene Ogawa of Spaciousness Works. COVID-19 has created an unanticipated world where we have greater virtual access to others. As teams span geographical and national boundaries to collaborate, the need for deeper intercultural and diversity, equity, and inclusion awareness, practical tools, and skills has never been more vital. The world has changed and won't change back to the way it was. So creating bridges to greater awareness between incredibly diverse team members and between oneself and others is critical for optimized workplace communication and performance necessary for solving complex problems. It is possible to develop an environment with intercultural diversity incorporating multiple languages and nations that transcends divisiveness and amplifies the gifts of diversity. We transformed a network of global intercultural organizations to create conversations that pushed through defensive attitudes and adversarial barriers and moved directly to embrace individual, team, and organizational strengths. This podcast will help you learn to create psychological safety in a highly diverse group, large group, 50 plus, understand the importance of relational versus positional respect as a game changer in complex times, and achieve 100% engagement in ideating amongst diverse groups. Tanya Cruz-Teller is a passionate, creative leader of systemic change processes founded on principles of personal transformation, collaborative partnerships, and appreciative inquiry. As an organization development practitioner, her work is committed to a diverse, equitable, and inclusive world through building greater organizations. She has 20 plus years of experience in international, organizational, and community development. She champions strength-based design in strategic planning, leadership development, and stakeholder engagement. Her learning mindset and proven skill set centers local knowledge, maximizing impact and inclusion across diverse and often divergent stakeholders. Her career in the international OD and diversity arena includes her role as an expert panelist of the Global Diversity Inclusion Benchmarks. Equally sought after 
are her speaking skills. In fact, in 2021, Tanya both moderated an opening session and facilitated a workshop at our Forum on Workplace Inclusion conference. Tanya is familiar with leading organizations from within as well as operating in multiple sectors. In her previous role as South Africa Country Director for the Synergros Institute, her mandate was to bring together government, business, and civil society in partnerships that create a more equitable society in South Africa and the region. She was also formerly with the South Africa government, directing a leading-edge center of excellence in youth development practice for adults and policymakers to create an enabling environment and realize the youth dividend in the country and the continent. She specializes in blended synchronous and asynchronous online engagement that maximizes inclusion, innovation, and inspired action. Stephen Reed has spent 30 years creating solutions in various environments for startup businesses to consulting to MPOs. He has been active in many industries, including media, tech, retail, logistics, hospitality, and education, working in world-class urban areas through to informal settlements. He works in Africa and has been involved in projects in eight countries to date. Stephen features as a panel judge and mentor on Africa's Young Entrepreneurs, the largest African entrepreneur reality show now in its sixth season, which is broadcast and syndicated across Africa through six different TV stations. He has also worked as facilitator with other organizations such as the South African Diversity Supplier Council, TechnoServe, the Ando State Government, Nigeria, and Liberty Group to train and mentor entrepreneurs and small business owners at various stages of their development. Stephen is also the South Africa Ambassador to the World Union of Small and Medium Enterprises and has served in roles such as the Director of Strategic Alliances at the International Coach Federation, South Africa Chapter, Founding Director of Redeeming Hope for the Disabled, an NPO working to upskill disabled immigrants in South Africa, Mentor for Young African Leaders Initiative, a panel advisor for the South African Institute of Chartered Accountants, Enterprise Development Program, as well as the South African National Director of the Mankind Project International, and the South African Representative to the International Mankind Project Council. Marlene Ogawa is a highly experienced facilitator who has worked within the private sector, NGOs globally, and the government of South Africa. Her expertise is in designing and implementing adult learning and sharing interventions addressing both micro and macro needs. Most recently, Marlene was a keynote speaker at the 2019 World Appreciative Inquiry Conference on the theme of Thriving Women, Thriving World with Diana Whitney and Tanya Cruz-Teller. That same year, she partnered with six other authors leading globally in the appreciative inquiry and positive psychology fields to publish a book, Thriving Women, Thriving World, an invitation to dialogue, healing, and inspired actions. She has worked across various leadership and collaboration initiatives, which build on the principles of theory, you, and presencing. Currently, Marlene is passionate about her strategic planning and diversity and inclusion work with clients using appreciative inquiry. Over the years, she has supported cross and multi-sectoral collaborations through project management, engaging and facilitating gatherings with diverse groups within government, business, civil society, and communities. She has an education degree with the University of Johannesburg and various certificates in program management and ICT. Her formal technology schoolings 
is the foundation to a passion for online learning and engagement that amplify collaboration. So one one of the the things that uh, I've, you know we, we've been working together for for a few years now, the, the three of us, um, and I know you two have been working together for forever. And one of the things I've never asked you, and I'm really curious to know, uh, both from from you, Tanya, and you, Marlene, um, one of one of the things that really attracted me to Spaciousness Works is that you approach this ICDI journey from a strength-based perspective, you know, and that's, that's uh, pretty unique. So what, what got you and Marlene started on this journey, Tanya? Would you mind sharing just a little bit um, about your, yourself and, and, and your experiences? Because I'm, I'm fascinated. I've never actually asked this question. Mm. Uh, it's always great to to go back down memory lane and to connect um, connect with our roots. Um, so Marlene and I were working as youth development practitioners and um, really trying to create an enabling environment uh, for youth development in South Africa and of course um, my roots um, of doing that in the U.S. and Part of what became incredibly frustrating was realizing that we weren't creating an enabling environment for young people to bring their best. And um, um, can I just ask a question? Those hottie dolls are so loud. They're like yours, Marlene, uh, really lands us in being in South Africa. Um, Stephen, do I need to pause when the Haridas are screaming? Because Lesejo won't be able to edit that out. So, so um, a Haridda, as we know it in South Africa, I think it's an ibis. It's some type of ibis. Uh, it's such a unique sound to South Africa. I wonder what other countries uh, recognize it. But please continue, Tanya. Oh, thank you. Um, so this... Um, invitation for us to um, create spaces because we were the Center for Youth Development Practice and we were really empowered and entrusted with creating spaces, different kinds of spaces for people to gather and to really look at um, and how to how to build and support uh, youth in thriving. Um, uh, the methodologies that were being used were very much uh, deficit-based. They were very much um, solely looking at all the problems that were creating um, the exclusion of uh, young people and economic access. And um, coming from um, an organizational development foundation of um, whole systems methodologies, we started really experimenting with what happens when you create space for people to bring their stories and for not just bringing their stories of the problems, but for bringing their stories of why are they still here today? What brought them into resilience? And, um, and what's the impact of them um, telling stories from a place of resilience and strength? And we came across um, some great methodologies, including in particular appreciative inquiry, which invited us to say, okay, so how not only how are we telling the stories that connect us and to our strength and to each other and possibilities, but uh, what if we were really intentional about creating a vision 
um, both within organizations and within young people and within leaders um, of a different future than what we had right now and not a vision of the future um, based on what we don't want right now, but based on what we most want more of and what we could build on that we currently have as strengths. And so from there started um, our work in consulting um, to organizations to say, okay, so you, you want to change something in the world, um, join us in telling stories of uh, what is working and what's possible and creating a vision that then is co-created with all the staff um, so that it unleashes um, both um, the innovative and the um, um, the self-driving actions when people co-create their own vision, but also people can bring their whole selves and the diversity um, and the uniqueness of their experiences, their lived experiences, um, in addition to their formal education. And that then um, became something that gave me life in doing this work. It felt like a much lighter and healthier way um, to bring about a more inclusive, intercultural, um, equitable um, uh, future. What about yourself, Marlene? I'm, I'm curious of how you connect to our initial roots of doing this work. Yeah, thanks, Tanya. I think for me, it has been both my personal and professional journey, as you say, working in the youth and larger development space and Coming from a country uh, like South Africa is a, a reminder of the gifts and talents that we show up, as well as our trauma and our hurts um, and the healing that we need to do. And so my journey, um, starting with youth and young people, has been how do we continue to make a difference? And the recognition that, as you said, around the gifts and talents that young people have and those who work with them, the leaders, right, and the decision makers, and how do we shift their understanding of the world of young people? And I think that has taken me into larger leadership work and the recognition that we need to focus on our own inner work, how we show up as individuals into the collectives, into the systems that we influence, make decisions around. Um, and so I, firmly believe in the relational aspects of of the work that we do and how we come from self into other and how we relate and build relationships and that is very important and um, through my work of looking at um, the self and inner work of people and how people show up and then also looking at what is the work that they need to do to build relationships? It needs to be intentional, it needs to be structured. So when we think about the workplace, when we think about in communities, and when we think about how systems work, is really that individuals make up the systems and what's the work that individuals need to do to fully and wholly and authentically contribute, to be connected to purpose and, and believe in what they do so that they can make a difference um, in the world. And so when it comes to uh, intercultural diversity, equity and inclusion, um, it's really that we come with each of our individual cultures, individual gifts, individual intersectional uh, elements, 
And so as we show up with those, what do we carry and how do we help others and see those as gifts within ourselves and gifts within others, that our diversity is a gift um, in this world. And yeah, I'm curious how Stephen sees it. Um, we've walked a journey with him um, the last few years. And so if you can share your point of view, Stephen. Yeah, thanks, Marlene. It's so interesting listening and it's, it becomes quite obvious for me. And I can't believe I've never asked, you know, so specifically around your journeys because my work, um, not so much with youth, although a lot of it was with youth, youth is around um, entrepreneurship and um, economic inclusion and, and doing a lot of work in under-resourced communities. Um, it's kind of obvious that everything is strength-based because people have to find their strengths to move forward. Um, so it, it's kind of like an automatic fit. Um, and I know you two have been working together for like 18 years, I think it is <laughs> now. Um, and it's just such a, such a lovely fit. And, you know, right, right now when we're talking you know, COVID has created uh, an unanticipated world where we have greater virtual access to to others. And as teams, we span geographical and national boundaries to collaborate. And I've worked in, in multiple countries in Africa and, and that and I know you all have also have worked all over the world. Um, and there's just such a, a need for, for deeper intercultural um, and diversity, equity, and inclusion awareness, and um, you know, practical tools and, and skills have never been more more vital. I think. Uh, so, what what are you, what are your thoughts? I mean, how, how how do we move forward in in a strength based manner um, and uh, address all these challenges through a strength based lens? Um, and, and and I know. We've been working with some organizations. Maybe, maybe Tanya, you'd like to just share a little bit of your thoughts around this. Yeah. Well, I think um, first, even what's really important is to um, clear up some misconceptions. I think when we talk about appreciative inquiry and strength-based work, is that a lot of people think that okay, that means that when we're creating. Um, strategy or we're, we're, we're working with um, equity, that we're only looking at the positives. And so for us, we've been um, really inspired and we always look for generative metaphors. And so we like to talk about the lotus. And so we have this appreciative leadership lotus model. And the reason why we talk about the lotus is because the lotus is this most incredible, incredible flower, but it only grows in the mud. And when we realize that, um, that something so beautiful can come from the mud, it makes us really curious about, well, what is it about the mud? Um, and what could be our relationship to, we know we want to thrive, we know we want to bloom and become this flower. Um, so we can't have the flower without the mud. So if we adjust our relationship to the mud, so if we talk about what do we want to appreciate or what do we want to increase in value, um, we, we, we move from a oppositional relationship to the complexity of the world right now, to the inequity in the world right now. And we start getting curious about, well, 
um, what within the organization or what within people and what within these teams is there um, a strength that they can build on that allows them to um, um, be able to um, have the difficult conversations and look at the mud in a way that is not necessarily oppositional, but with a shared value of um, finding respect and trust and knowing that um, ultimately an organization and a diverse team will thrive if they can value and um, access each other's um, diversity. So we often then shift this relationship. Um, and so what we mean by strength-based is actually uh, resources um, and resilience and um, gifts, as Marlene was saying, um, in, in the mud. And then if we have that as a foundational principle, we can then invite um, ourselves to say, well, what's, what's the obstacle that then gets in the way of, of people being able to um, see the lotus um, and the mud? And we find that that really is um, the, the armor that most of us have put on um, so that we can um, survive or navigate um, this world. And I'm wondering if, Marlene, you want to talk a little bit about that common obstacle that gets in the way of people thriving, the, the, this armor um, that we both ourselves are looking at in our personal work and inviting others uh, into. Yeah, thanks, Tanya. I think because of our lived experiences of the spaces where we have to show up, myself as a black South African woman, um, have experience where I feel there's in essence resistance to me being in spaces and the sense that I feel that I know I do not belong. And so how we show up and how we then put on this armor is either with aggression, um, with resistance, with this in our heads that uh, people are not going to open spaces for us not to belong. And so we find these ways and put on layers and layers of garments in essence that uh, makes us feel that we fit in and that we belong. And so we've seen in our work, especially in, in the intercultural spaces where people want to fit into the dominant culture and often um, it's either with language and how they show up. So my language in the workplace is very different from my language. Um, and, and when I say language is how I sound, how I show up, how I act in the workplace versus when I'm at home with my peers, with my family. And, and, and the invitation is how can we show up authentically? And what is the gift that when we do show up authentically with everything and who we are, that that gift adds into the world of work, into the world of society. And so that society can see both um, um, the diverse cultures that, that are at play and the gifts of the difference that, uh, that we have. So the differences makes a difference. The diversity is a gift and how do we um, navigate and, 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 and add to um, what's in the world in the dominant culture, instead of feeling we have to be and show up as if we are part of the dominant culture. So that's that's what I'll say in that regard. I don't know if you want to add something, Tanya. Well, actually, if if I can jump in, it just reminds me of a, a, a situation we had, if you 
you, I'm sure you both remember we were working with an organization um, in, in, a, in a country in Africa, and the dominant culture um, was one of, of disrespectful humor. And uh, it was very interesting for me. I think in America it's called dissing. I think that's the term, dissing. Um, and um, um, when, when um, if I remember correctly, Tanya was actually pushed back against a specific example of, of that, that dissing or disrespectful humor happening. Um, there, there was a, an outcry from, from a, f- a few people in, in, in the organization. This is our culture. It's humor. This is how we connect. And there was a, a whole lot of reasons why it was good for them. Um, and uh, separately, uh, uh, outside of that, individuals were coming up to the team members of Spaciousness Works and, and just sharing how grateful they were that somebody had stood up to say this is not how we want to be. Um, so, so people just assimilating into this dominant culture of, of disrespect, which for some people is not a natural environment and not a not a good environment for them to be able to, to thrive in. And I just thank thanks Marlene for, for reminding me of that example. Uh, you know, from, from my perspective uh, uh, as, a, as a white male, um, you know, the, the experience that, that, that I have and I, I feel a, a lot of the, the, the white men have is either one of it's a, I'm, I'm being threatened in this space, I'm being threatened, what, what do I stand to lose or how do I become an ally, how do I, how do I work within this environment because um, I'm, I'm curious, I'm interested in change and I'm not sure what to do now. So I just also wanted to to share that. Um, so thanks for reminding me of that dominant culture example. What are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Uh, I, I also find that um, code shifting creates this environment where people show up with their conscious and unconscious biases and microaggressions. And so I feel like that environment just takes away from the opportunity to show up whole and show up authentic. So um, thanks for sharing your awareness around this as well um, and, and, and your experiences and that invitation to be an ally um, within within the space where we have to code shift um, into being better, actually. Yeah, absolutely. What, what do you think, Tanya? Yeah, I, um, I'm really um, struck by these moments where um, we're holding the both and, right? So humor is incredibly important in organization and in teams, right? And, and when humor becomes a, a tool for creating insider and outsider dynamics, um, it makes us really curious for why, what is the, that power dynamic um, that is showing up? And, um, and humor is a really um, uh, interesting and tricky one because as um, Marlene was, was sharing when we were um, debriefing it, it's, um, you know, when there's a group that's a team that is laughing and enjoying, um, you really want to be a part of it. 
So when that humor um, is um, dissing, as you're saying, or part of that dissing culture um, or has an edge to it, um, it gets really hard for people who are um, not in the dominant culture um, to actually say what the boundary is or what the line is around it. Part of the way that we work to build relationships is by people telling stories of strengths individually so that through their own um, words and through their own um, lived experience so that they can build a renewed relationship to themselves, not as one down or one up, but um, as this um, person who's connecting to another person so that then we can get into these conversations um, of inequity, um, these conversations which are a little bit of the mud. You know, it's really muddy. Is it like, well, is it just humor? Um, but there's actually um, a assimilation tool um, and a power dynamic in that uh, because it was a dominant culture. And some of the, since we're talking about intercultural um, competence. Um, it was around um, how people were using a third language, not even their first, you know, a lot of countries we work in, there's up to like in South Africa, there's 11 in this country. Um, we were looking at about eight uh, languages. So the humor that was being used with someone speaking in a third language for them um, to get them in order to um, speak the most dominant language um, was something that we needed to um, um, unpack, but unpack from a place of, of being in relationship um, um, to each other so that people could apply their intercultural competence um, view of, okay, this might be for myself. What's then the impact on someone else? And how can we bridge that understanding of, um, of being a, a group that likes to use humor, but not at the expense of um, uh, minority groups or minority languages, for example. Yeah, it's, uh, it was such a it was such a powerful experience, uh, and I know for me personally, and and uh, the impact um, that was created for the group as well. Um, so, what what other what other ways um, do you think uh, we we could share and, and just kind of chat about how, how we've been able to uh, help transform this network of, you know, global intercultural organizations that we're working with to create conversations, uh, conversations that push through these defensive attitudes and adversarial barriers potentially, and, and to, to help move people and organizations directly to be able to embrace the individual team and organizational strengths? Gosh, there are um, so many powerful examples um, within the organizations of how to um, create, how to, as we're saying, in, interrupt um, this intercultural um, code shifting. Um, so one of them is when we um, create the strategic planning um, retreat or sessions um, with the organizations, 
we um, invite a smaller team to become the core team. And oftentimes, these smaller teams that help to plan for strategic retreats are made up in organizations of, um, they're pretty heavy in terms of leadership. Um, perhaps they have one or two other key positions like monitoring evaluation or, or something else that um, has to do with uh, administration. And our invitation really is um, to create a team that is as aspirationally intercultural and diverse as possible so that in this smaller group, we can um, um, invite everyone's ideas and co-create both the words um, and the interview guides and the theme and, and the ways in which people tell stories and visualize their strategic future is co-created by a diverse group and then is led by a diverse group. So for example, in one of the um, um, organizations that we worked with in this network, we were really clear that drivers needed to be part of um, this really important core team that was planning the strategic planning retreat. Um, and um, the driver was able to naturally step into their leadership role and also share with the rest of um, the team and then the organization that their role in driving around uh, the volunteers meant that they were perfectly positioned to be in, and it's over like long journeys across um, you know, the countryside, that they were in a perfect position to be able to um, engage in intercultural conversations, know what's happening in their lives, um, help to coach and guide and mentor. And so it really shifted this idea of a driver as um, just a, you know, from point A to point B um, necessity and importance to a key um, almost um, a project manager or project intervener or um, ICDI, HIV, um, gender inclusion um, activist um, in the organization. And from that shift, um, it really meant that the driver could um, interrupt their code shifting of, well, here's the only times when I speak and what I offer, which is what's the best driving route, to really seeing themselves and offering their vision as um, a creator of the culture and an ideator of what are the best ways to um, support um, the volunteers and the staff um, who come in contact um, with the drivers and with the communities based on their unique experience. So they were able to remove some of this armor and really step into their natural leadership that they were able to show in their homes, um, in their um, entrepreneurial businesses, but they were able to bring that and gift that into this organization, um, which really thrived from having their leadership instead of just having um, them be small um, because of the assumptions around their role. So that was one example that was really exciting. Love I, to hear. I, I, yeah, and uh, I have a specific driver in mind when you're sharing that story and I just, how powerful his leadership showed up, you know, it, it just bloomed, talking about the, the Lotus, how it just coming out of that mud, and just really blooming uh, in, in, in the summit that, that we created. And, and you know, as, as we continued following up with the organization, sure, it was over a year now, I think it is, 
just how his leadership has just grown and grown and grown. And as you say, I, I remember him sharing uh, about his own business that, that he runs as well, you know, to uh, generate additional income for his family um, and, and, and in his family as well, just how the, the lessons that he's learned also about the, the diversity and, and creating equity and inclusion within his community, how that uh, is uh, lessons that have, have sat with him in his leadership. Marlene, uh, I'm sure you, you know uh, the, who I'm speaking about in that organization. It's just so powerful. Yeah, and I think what we see is just the activation of agency, gifts and talents where people can show up whole. Um, with their own wisdom and experiences and contribute into the organizational systems. And so within that context, what we also see um, is how leadership shift. We see how executive directors and country directors um, in that space of having a core team that's representative of the system, how they partner with the rest of the system and hear the voices and get deeper input from colleagues and staff that they work with. So this leadership is really a model of servant leadership that creates space for co-creation. So imagine if your executive director, your country director creates that space to truly and authentically ask for the input, hear the voices and action with this kind of core team group, what comes out of because they represent the larger system. And it's such a great gift um, for leadership to partner with um, representation from the organization in, in that way. And, and also for leadership to listen to a driver um, a, in a way that really values their wisdom and their expertise and their experience. Um, and so it opens up a new uh, perspective and new seeing of how the organization can be and how the organization can shift because of the diverse wisdom from the different levels and layers, horizontal and vertical, within the organization. Thanks, Stephen. I think, Tanya, you might have another example for us. Well, I, I really want to... I really want to kind of underscore this... Um, this blooming or blossoming that we see with um, the apex leader, if we're going to use that term, whether they're executive directors or country directors or managing directors, is that if, if we're talking about the code shifting, is um, leaders, um, as they go up the, um, the, the line, they get more and more isolated. There is this um, idea that, and this armor that's put on that I need to have all the answers. And that if I'm going to be this leader that people trust, it's that I have the answers. And what we know right now in VUCA and with this pandemic is that there is so much complexity that there is no way that one person can have all the answers, nor um, do we want it to be that way anymore if we're really going to be resilient in, in the world that we're facing right now. And so one of the gifts of um, coming together in strength-based ways and acknowledging that everyone has a piece of the wisdom is that leaders no longer... Um, um, feel as alone. And um, organizations really thrive because there are a multitude of creative solutions that are come from everyone 
um, as we say, touching the elephant in pieces and having um, a piece of the truth. So the blossoming that we see with leaders when they finally um, realize that they can have some of the answers, but they don't actually need to have all. And by not having all the answers and by creating um, the space where everyone can bring their intercultural gifts, um, where they can take off, uh, they can start code shifting of having all the answers and their staff can stop code shifting of um, only bringing a particular aspect that is maybe dictated previously by their role is that they feel connected and they feel in their relational leadership. Um, and um, and right now, everybody is, is craving for this in particular in the pandemic. And there's a an amazing amount of um, of joy, um, even while we navigate the the bumpy road that it means to create equity. Of if you are listening to everyone's voices and if you are creating multiple um, solutions, um, how do we then have the resources for that? How do I maintain um, the final word or the final say? Um, but it can be done in um, in teamwork and um, and not in isolation is what we're finding in our work. I find that one of the most fulfilling parts of the work is is the impact um, that that the, the this work has on the leaders. Um, I think because I've, I've done a lot of work with founders of, of of small businesses and that they often find themselves alone. Um, and, and just so it's, it's, it's so easy to relate how a, a, a solo entrepreneur in, in a, in a village has the same feeling of isolation as does a, a, a director of a large organization once they're at, at that leadership point, because, you know, they, they feel alone and they, they're missing out on all this uh, wisdom, collective wisdom um, and, and experience through, through their team. So I, I always I find that incredibly fulfilling, the, the, the impact it has on leaders um, and, and kind of that like almost an aha moment when, when they, they, they have that breakthrough that they're not alone. So I, I really love that. And, uh, you know, we've been speaking about uh, these in-person summits that that we've we've created with with organisations, um, and another part of the work that that I think has been really impactful is is the the online. You know, with with COVID, um, uh, creating space for a lot more virtual access to others. Um, our our course, our, our diversity, equity, and inclusion with um, a appreciative inquiry course um, has also been interesting, been a lot of lessons. Um, I, I know that I personally have learned um, working with, with uh, people and, and organizations. I think we, uh, one, of the, one of the courses, we had about 11 different countries on at the same time with different cultures and the different languages, um, et cetera, on there. And I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to us all just unpacking that, the learnings and, and uh, some more uh, examples and practical tools that, that came out of those uh, courses. Marlene, you know, as Stephen was just mentioning about like founders and leaders, um, the, you know, this aha moment of not being alone, 
I also want us to tell the story of um, leaders of committees, right? I think a lot of the people who are listening are in organizations that have staff committees, right? And often those staff committees are um, in, in, in some kind of oppositional role and leadership. And I'm wondering if you want to tell the story of, of the staff committee chair um, that we worked with and some of that aha and transformation um, of, of shifting that's possible with strength-based ICDI work. Yeah, thanks, Tanya. In that context, I think typically um, in a lot of these spaces, staff committees represent uh, staff, and often it's linked to grievances and all these unpleasantries within the organization, as well as the social aspects. And what we found was that the conversations within the staff committee has always been kind of deficit-based, linked to problems. And, and so with the journey we've walked with um, these organizations um, has been, how can we shift the role of the staff committee to still deal with some of these challenges, but from a strength-based uh, creative solution innovation point of view? And um, with one of the staff committee, she, she said she realized that even when staff come with grievances and this unhappiness, it's how do you shift the conversation also to hold people accountable, but also what's the shift that for the staff committee chair that that person can make in terms of how they hold the space and have the conversations around some of the challenges that staff might have. And um, so we saw a shift um, from the challenges and looking at these challenges in a way that the chair of the staff committee shifted and shifted her vision and how she advocates. And she became and is continuing to advocate for shift in culture. And so she has become and has this vision of advocating for culture shifts. And she's the culture shift driver within the organization. And Tanya, you might want to add, because I know there's been different uh, conversations around that kind of shift in uh, employee resource groups, as well as the staff committees across organizations. Yeah, thanks, Marlene. I mean, it might I think maybe for people listening, it might sound like, oh, wow, that sounds really miraculous. You know, I can't imagine within, you know, my organization, you know, having these um, committees that are really about advocating in a particular way than, than being culture drivers. And, and I think that um, um, comes to part of what we want to share, which is um, in order to get to these moments of big shifts of people then going from adversarial um, and um, into intercultural and at, um, being advocates um, of, of culture and the intercultural diversity um, is that there's there's a there's a couple of foundational um, let's say embedding practices that enable you to be strength-based in these moments um, that are quite challenging. And so the one, for example, in this meeting where we were able to um, really create this big shift, um, bringing different committees um, together, one committee that was very much focused on um, strength-based and the staff committee that was very much uh, focused on um, adversarial was that we, we had some container agreements of how we 
um, are in dialogue with each other that allowed everybody at um, the, we were online. So it allowed everybody in this virtual space um, to really um, listen to understand versus listening to win, right, as one of the container agreements. And um, so since we had this practice of, of, of um, I guess, some values and some ground rules uh, for how we wanted to come to better understanding around ourselves, um, it enabled us to be in a difficult conversation. So that was one. Another um, practice that can really help embed um, these um, uh, intercultural diversity and competence within an organization is if um, the team or the organization can co-create a desirable vision of what it means to be interculturally competent, diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Once you co-create this vision and you co-create it from people's stories, which is what we do in our specialty, is that then at every moment of challenge, everybody can come back to a shared touchstone, to a shared North Star or Southern Cross here in our Southern Hemisphere. Um, and so, so those are the maybe perhaps the structural pieces um, to co-create um, with an organization and with a team that then helps us to navigate and to invite people into this code shifting um, that invites people into being transformational with each other um, instead of just um, transactional in their ICD, IA. And I, I'm wondering, Stephen, if you want to give any flavor to the kind of container agreements that we use that help people then to remove some of this code shifting um, armor and really step into being transformative with each other, both online um, and in person. Well, my, my favorite agreement always is be brave, not perfect. Um, you know, the first time I saw that, it just really resonated with me about just trying trying things on uh, the analogy for me is, you know, going shopping and you see a coat and it looks, I know, it looks crazy. It looks beautiful. You're not sure. And the only way you really know if it's for you is if you try it on, you put it on and you test it. Is it tight under the arms? What does it look like? And so on. And just try it on. You can always take it off if it doesn't suit you or it doesn't fit well, but you're never going to know unless you try it on. So I, I love be brave, not perfect. Um, and, you know, how important confidentiality is and just letting people be aware around uh, confidentiality, you know, that it's clear in the room, that, that we're not going to be sharing personal details outside of conversations. Um, and I remember we were, we were online and we were translating these uh, container agreements um, into, into a, a local language um, and how once they'd been translated and we were readdressing it for another um, summit that we're going to be creating uh, later this, the, this month, how um, people re-looked at the wording and um, decided that, that the translation into the, the host country's language was not, um, um, was, was not correct. The, the actual translation from the English into, into that language. And, and the piece that I really loved was that, that we, we got into the discussion and the, um, the conversation and the creativity is the action, is one of our container agreements. And we were practicing this. And there was a back and forwards and uh, different uh, 
members on this call um, were discussing what's right and, and what, what they believed was not as right in, in the translation. And the piece that stood out for me most, um, Tanya, was that in the end, we decided to change the English. <laughs> that, that for me just stood out as such an important part that um, you know, some languages, it's really difficult to translate into the English because English just doesn't allow for, for the, 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 the script, the internal script of the that person to to con doesn't convert into English, um, so so the dominant language being English was changed, and 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 for me that was quite remarkable because often, you know, the, the thinking is how do we convert into English? It's all about English, English being the dominant language, and so on. So that that was a lovely piece for me, absolutely. Yeah, and that really underscored another container agreement we use, which is be prepared to be surprised, right? So, yeah. I mean, that was incredibly surprising um, and 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 spot on, um, you know, for our work. And and even with that container agreement, we were in a discussion of like, hmm, what what what's another way to communicate that? It's it's um, and and this is really uh, we were able to name. Um, this um, gift of the lotus in the mud, which is that if we expect best outcomes, we can generate best outcomes, right? So if we can expect that there's a lotus that's going to come out of the mud, we're going to look for it. We're going to look for the seed. We're going to look for nutrients. We're going to look for the water. Um, and then we're going to look for the emergent uh, blooming. And we're going to find it because it's it's always there when people come together um, and assume um, best intentions and then are accountable for their intent and their impact. And, and, and that really creates a lot of joy in your work in this um, topsy-turvy ICDI um, A work when you're prepared to be surprised and then you are. And I think what it also comes to is that the container agreements really create that psychological safety. It's a container, an environment that we create. And Stephen, as you put a, talk about putting it on, it's really the invitation to embody and practice these uh, ways of being. And what we find is that when people internalize um, uh, and their own understanding, their own language of what it is to be brave, not perfect, they show up with that wholly. Um, and, and, and so at the heart of it is also connection before content. If we connect and it comes back to building the relationships and relate to each other, the gift of understanding and seeing each other wholly, and then that connection allows us to focus on the work in a way that's most meaningful, that's most caring and compassionate and kind to each other so that we don't need to code shift, but rather that we show up because we see each other deeply through the connections that we've created and the relational work that we do with each other on an ongoing basis. And that safety that is there for us to to open up to each other and to stay curious with each other and co-create and innovate in a way that doesn't feel that um, you're risking anything, but knowing that as a team, 
you can contribute and your voice matters and you can show up authentically. Thanks. Absolutely. Uh, and I think it's, uh, you know, part of that, that for me that you've just shared so well is, is, is that on the ICDI journey, we need to always assume positive intent um, to, to help keep that, that armor down that, that yes, there's, uh, there, there's potentially going to be uh, an impact, which wasn't the person's uh, intention to have that specific impact. And if we're assuming that everybody's on this journey together um, with, with a positive intention, we give them the benefit of the doubt, it just allows for um, less code shifting and it allows for this defensive armor just to be put down, even if it's for a little bit, just to, to try it out. How, what does it feel like to be vulnerable? What does it feel like to, to listen, to understand and to empathize, to hear others' uh, lived experiences? It, it really uh, creates the environment where, where there's movement and movement in the right direction. And talking about movement, do you remember, <laughs> you know, we were, oh, gee was I can't remember exactly when it was. We were, we were on an online, uh, one of our online workshops and there was, a, were there 11 countries on the call? I'm not sure whether from, yeah. yeah, yeah um, mm -hmm. You remember that uh, from the, the Caribbean to um, Asia, countries in Africa. That was, that was really interesting. And Tanya, you, you were just saying something. What, um, I interrupted you. What, what were you sharing? Yeah, that was um, incredible to have such an um, global diversity um, all in one space and virtual, um, really supporting them to think about how to be thinking partners with each other. So one of the things that I was um, really reflecting on as Marlene was, was sharing about how can we bring our best ideas and our best selves? Um, well, one of the ways we can do that is by creating processes um, where people can help each other think in ways that is um, um, supportive, in ways that amplifies strengths, in ways that um, people feel seen and heard and less defensive so they can think creatively. Um, and so um, sharing a, um, a thinking partner practice that is both intercultural and strength-based has been one of the greatest um, gifts um, because it, it transfers across all different um, countries, 11 countries, um, and having people um, glow from being in a space of um, creating new solutions for themselves, not feeling under attack, but uh, feeling under amplification has, has been an incredible joy um, in this work. Um, how was your experience of, 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 that, of that session and, and the others where we've had multiple people from different uh, places across the globe all coming together to, to really learn how to um, be most interculturally competent and equitable. Yeah, I think um, the part that I appreciate is when through our book, Thriving Women, Thriving World, is we use one of the um, interview 
uh, guides and questions to for people to speak about compassionate communities. And I think the gift of that, pairing people in improbable pairs um, and allowing them to tell stories about compassionate communities, or if they don't have those kind of communities, to allow them to dream into it, really creates the recognition as well as the insight that, first of all, we all need compassionate communities um, to support each other and, and also we can learn so much from each other. Um, so creating those communities where we can come together and you find that our needs are very similar. We want the same kindness and compassion linked to the work that we do because the people who show up in our causes across these geographies and cultures we are all looking for the same thing, where we can show up fully, where we can contribute and make a difference, especially in the intercultural diversity, equity and inclusion and accessibility world, where we can all um, share our stories and learn from each other and get wisdoms so that we can um, do better, know better and show up better and help those that we um, are intending to help as well as help ourselves to stay strong and resilient in this work because it isn't always easy. Um, so I feel like throughout the course we create that sense of community where people reconnect and renew their relationship with themselves and their purpose and then can relate better to each other in the course as well as relate better through the project-based learning that they do, relate better to those that they work with in the world. And sometimes it's their own personal work and sometimes it is within their professions, within their organizations, with, with their clients that they support. I love the, the, the practical aspect of the, the course. and I find that very exciting um, when people, um, as you say, personally or professionally, and, and um, we've had We've had uh, seasoned uh, priest of inquiry practitioners to people who have maybe only heard the term, people who've been in the DEI space for a long time and, and new practitioners there. We've had such variety, uh, such a variety of different people on, on the course and, and, and yet always that, that practical component, the, the, the project-based learning that they're able to take out, I find so, so exciting. Um, how those those projects uh, crystallize on the course and, and there's a, a an impact immediately um, for, for most people that they're able to to put something together that they're going to take into the world um, and and make a difference uh, other people on, on a longer journey there um, but but that practical side for me is is really impactful um, I remember when I did the course, um, whenever that was, um, and, and just being able to, to, to use it as, as a base. I, I created a, a, an online course uh, for, for white men to do, to do their work in, in the DEI space. Um, and and it, was, it was just based on, on being able to, to create with the, uh, the, the other um, participants being able to create um, something where, where I wasn't judged on, on what I got right, what I didn't get right. And I was able to really just lean into being vulnerable and, and dream for what I wanted 
um, and and then in in a variety of different ways that that you both uh, facilitated. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, to to put it together um, and 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 get it going. Yeah, it was it was a really profound experience for me. Thanks for sharing that, Stephen. I I think that's. Um, an excellent example of when we talk about spaciousness, right? So whether it's working with within these um, countries with very diverse teams, or whether it's on the course, um, when we when we create the space for people um, to to really learn and be seen and bring their best selves and and create the psychological safety that. Um, Marlene was um, speaking about, um, it inspires um, action. And really that's that's what we want in this world, right? If we want a more inclusive, equitable and um, world, we want everyone to be able to take action from their own knowledge, experience or desire. And so when you talk about the, the workshop you created, um, that for me is such a perfect example of coming in finding your your space being inspired and sparked to say okay this is my action that i'm going to take and then doing it and then trying it on and then being part of a community of practice to get feedback on and to improve um and and that's how the world and our organizations um shift and change and that's really been a gift um in in being in our strengths um together as we say Yes, and and for me, I also I, I really liked the um, accountability partner part of, of of the creation that the the participants were were my accountability partners as I was to them, and I had people who who were on my side, um, um, yet maybe not in my industry at all, um, you know, not not on on the same um, place in their journey either in AI or in DEI. Um, and I, f- I found that very supportive, um, ha- having access to, as you call it, a community of practice um, from a, an accountability perspective. Um, so what, what, I would, what I would like to hear as well is if you had one thing that you would want to share from this experience of... Um, of um, working with these these teams or organizations that span so many geographical national boundaries and and helping them deepen their their intercultural competence diversity equity and inclusion awareness um what would be one thing that that you would share what would be the kind of the, the most important thing you would want to share your learnings from these, your journey with these organizations? One thing, one thing only, Stephen. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> we work with abundance, so uh, there's there's quite a lot. But um, um, I think for me is it's the, in, in strength-based ICDIA work is, um, and working with organizations, which are systems, but as Marlene said, it's it's people that create systems, is the power that each of us has to believe that um, 
every single person comes with strengths. And that if I'm prepared to be surprised, even in the mud and the muck and its muddy waters, is that I will find it. And if I can find it and we can find it together, then we can together create solutions for the muck and the mud and the misunderstandings or the unconscious bias that we're in. And that um, this power is something that I absolutely have control over. This is my mental model, right? This is um, the paradigm shift um, that I'm going to have in the relationship to if I want that lotus bloom, um, how am I going to be in the mud? How am I going to um, absolutely with 100%, 110% confidence, um, look for strengths, build on those strengths so that we can transform um, this um, code shifting into transformational organizational um, success. Thank you. Thanks, Tanya. What about you, Marlene? Yeah, thanks. That's so true, Tanya, in terms of our strengths. I think what we've also invited people to show up with is both um, their heads and their hearts. And the invitation is really to shift from that intellectual kind of understanding of ICDI and the terminologies and vocabulary and the concepts and theories into our hearts. And how do we continue to open our hearts to what we truly want to see in the world and how we want to be in the world, how we want to be treated and seen and how we treat and see others. And I think for me, our emphasis on embodied practice invites people both to release some of the trauma that we have in our hearts, in our bodies, and then to open ourselves up to receive the new that's coming into us, the kindness, the compassion, um, the love that we have for each other. And I think until we deeply shift into that opening our hearts, the work continues to be hard, both for us and for those that we do at work with and those that we have to navigate the world with. So how do we embody the practices that we advocate for? Um, I think for us as, as facilitators and hold space holders and holding space for others, it has continued to be that we have to do our work and our work starts with our hearts and our bodies and what's the trauma, the anger, the frustration that we have to release so that we can build our resilience and build ourselves up into kindness, compassion, love, generosity. Um, when we see um, uh, each other, that we show up with joy, with love, and, and, and shifting from the kind of intergenerational trauma um, into the knowing that we have ancestral joy and we have that joy deep inside of us and how do we show up with that. And if we continue to activate that joy and show up with it, then um, as, as Tanya always speaks about, you know, there has to be this joy revolution. And so as we show up with that and shift and, and find our laughter and, and, and help us build our resilience, that opens our hearts to be in awe, to be in curiosity, 
and 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 to open our hearts to ourselves and be compassionate to ourselves and and to others uh, around us so for me it's really what's the embodiment of all of that and how do we walk that and model it within ourselves and to show others as well and for you Stephen I'm so curious um, yeah um, well, of, after hearing, just hearing the term ancestral joy, um, you know, I just, that that would be like a mic drop for me. So uh, I, I guess what what I would add, what, what I've learned, one, one of the things, one of the many things I've learned um, on, on this journey, working with these organizations across the world um, is... I was brought up, I was taught um, to treat people how I would like to be treated. And, and what I've learned is to treat people how they would like to be treated. And that's something that I'm trying to carry in, in, in my life. You say that we need to be doing this work. That's, that's a big part of it is our, our own personal journey. And um, that, that's the piece that, that I'm carrying with me. Um, so, I'd like to um, just ask Tanya, you know, what's, what's your vision for spaciousness uh, works going forward? What's your vision with these, these organizations as more and more organizations want to take on this work? Mm. Well, what I'd like to... Um, what I'd like to share is that our greatest um, hope in, um, in making our organizations a better place for all is that organizations and teams co-create a vision um, of what's possible and that they name that which they most want um, in the world um, and in being equitable and inclusive. And so I want to share that there's this. Um, so I'd love to share one of the visions that was co-created by a country that has um, more than 10 languages and different religions and different racial groups and a huge history um, of um, ICDI work um, and much more work um, to come. Um, and they created their vision statement um, through our work with them that champions and carries them forward um, through the, the bumps and scrapes and, and um, into their growing as an organization and thriving and being um, a shining star in a global network. Um, and so, so my vision is that each organization would create something like this that would encompass and, and guide everyone forward. So let me, let me read it um, for you all because it was so inspiring. And the best part when you create um, spaciousness is that um, people create this for themselves um, and then champion and self-organize to make it happen. So here's um, part of their vision statement. We are a house built by individuals with unique skill sets. Our foundation is based on the solidarity of our communities and staff members who reach our common goal of world peace and friendship. 
We emanate from the African soil that gives birth to the baobab tree. Like its roots, we are the base of a strong community of competent, equitable, and diverse people with both local and international reach. May it be so. That's what they're creating. That's what we are envisioning across the world in every organization co-created with all the staff members who are invited um, into a shared journey, bringing their whole selves. Thank you, Stephen. Fantastic. I, I remember I remember that piece of work well. I remember how much was needed to be put down by, by people um, before they could move forward. And just what a powerful experience it was for everyone, uh, me included. Um, amazing. Amazing. So in closing, in closing, um, I'd love to hear from you, Marlene. What, what does it take to enable everybody to feel that they belong? What is needed? Yeah, I do think that what's needed is to allow space and opportunity for people to show up authentically. Um, and as part of that, showing up authentically is to allow people to tell their stories. So in telling their stories, it's truly um, allowing us to be in our strength from our roots from deep down. So imagine if workspaces and organizations and systems um, tap into who we are wholly. And I think for me, that is what's needed and that is the invitation and that's the call to action. Um, imagine if we can um, create space for people to be and just be what magic they would bring to this world and to the space. And so that really in this moment, in this time stands out for me. Um, and I, I think the invitation to leaders is how do they uh, and how do we create the space for leaders to show up wholly and for individuals within the organizations, systems um, to show up wholly. And I think that's, what's what's needed and I, I think it should be an invitation across societies because that will bring us back to our deeper consciousness of our work in the world our love in the world and it will just allow us to to do right by ourselves and right by each other thanks Stephen. thanks marlene so tanya in closing what does it take to enable everybody to feel that they belong? What we see in organizations um, that's reflected in teams is that um, the ability for people um, to feel like they can share their best ideas, that they can bring um, their cultural norms and their lived experiences um, where people can um, respectfully, and depending on what culture you're in, with humility and with saving face, be able um, to create um, um, 
challenger safety as we talk about one dimension of psychological safety. So if I can bring a different idea, if I can bring um, my history with that topic or that experience in my um, different cultural group, if I can bring my hope and my dreams and not just be armored um, to um, protect and to look for that which may hurt me, if I can um, turn my gaze and my heart and my skill um, to that which I want most and more of and do it collectively and do it together, um, the sense of belonging um, is what is then co-created and made space for in every organization and in every team. And that's been our experience of why we say, let's create spaciousness, let's be in our strengths together, where we can create a space for inclusion, where we can innovate together and where people can take inspired um, action um, that's self-led. Thank you. Is there anything else either of you would like to add? You know, I, I was reflecting on a conversation that we were having around um, pushing through defensive attitudes and adversarial barriers. And um, I was thinking, well, what, what's enabled us to successfully do that every time we've gathered people online like it really is pretty amazing, um, and, and I don't say this as a as a self praise thing. I I, I think it's 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 really um, um, to get curious around so that we can share um, what it means to be in strength based ICDI work. Is that in every gathering, we've been able to create enough space um, for the defensive attitudes to be seen and not be. Um, in opposition to, so that the leader can see that they're actually not fighting against anything, but that they are being invited um, into um, sharing what's most important and on behalf of the dream or the vision statement that can um, really bring about the change that everyone wants. And it's it's this um, ability to first do our own work when we're triggered or we're pushed um, to continue to hold, um, not only assume positive intent, because sometimes, you know, people are, we know um, they want to rock the boat or they want to throw the Molotov cocktail. Um, so they might not have the best intentions, but if we hold that underneath that adversarial action or that barrier is some hurt and possibly um, systemic exclusion, then we create space for better understanding. We create space for them um, to bring their strength and to bring their wholeness um, and to transform their own fear and exclusion um, um, together in a shared space um, so that then new solutions can be generated that are not ours, that are not one person's, but that are co-created in a group. And every time we've been able to hold this um, strength-based belief and view, um, those attitudes and those barriers um, have transformed. Um, and I, I know that that's often a question that people hold when they're like, well, 
you know, it's not always strength-based because sometimes we're fighting, you know, or sometimes somebody is really creating this big barrier. Like, how do you get past that? And I think I just wanted to speak a little bit to that. And of course, um, perhaps in the next podcast, we can talk more about um, more tools to embed that and transform that um, together. Absolutely. That's going to be a great conversation too. Marlene, anything from your side? No, Stephen, uh, I think just deep appreciation um, for the journey I've walked and uh, the journey I've walked with Tanya and, and now with you. It's just a gift, um, both personal and professional, um, because we continue to challenge each other and we continue to um, do our work together and invite each other into doing our work, our inner work and the work in the world. So it's an amazing gift. And thanks, Tanya, for reading the dream statement. Um, it reminds me of why this work is so important and how we can do it with, with our own strength and, 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 and our own assets and, and, and not feel weighed down by the, the, um, the deficits and the challenges, but really show up with strength. And if we can continue to model that and work on that, then we invite others to do the same and show that it is possible to do this hard work from a strength-based point of view and that allows for growth and emergence and newness um, in the world. So thanks for that. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you so much, Tanya, Stephen, and Marlene for this wonderful podcast. And thank you to our listeners and our sponsor, Best Buy. To learn more about interrupting intercultural code shifting, visit spaciousness.works or email them at hello at spaciousness.works. New episodes of the Forum podcast are available at forumworkplaceinclusion.org forward slash podcast. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Stitcher. Thank you again for listening and have a great day. Thank you again for listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates on the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,000 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota locations. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. At Augsburg, education is defined by excellence in the local arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.